Jesus, we declare your presence tonight in this place. Many of us are coming from different places, spiritually, physically, and, and sometimes we, we don't have the answers to everything. Most of the time, God, we don't have the answers to everything, but we come to you tonight seeking the answer of Jesus, seeking the answer of God. We come to you hungry. Most of us come to you tired, exhausted, but we ask, Lord, that you would give us rest, rejuvenate our souls, and restore what is yours tonight. We pray, Lord God, that that souls would be claimed in your name. We pray, God, that we wouldn't just be up here on stage making noise and words, God, but it would be words of worship to you. That we would for a second see the glimpse of heaven around us, and it is billions of angels bowing before you, God. And help us to realize the reality of what it is, God. We're here before you broken. None of us are perfect. None of us have the answers, God. But we are here, and we know that as we draw near to you, you promise to draw near to us. And so we praise you, and we ask, God, that you would lead us in this time of worship to receive your word and your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, I'm going to get into the... the the theme of, of the night later, it's going to be pretty evident. Some of you guys have, have seen, like, the posts on social media. The theme is deeper, going deeper specifically with God. And I just want to start out by mentioning something to address the, the elephants in the room. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but work for me, like, it didn't necessarily get, get canceled, but I actually had a lot of patience just cancel on me. Uh, and so if you guys have been keeping up even uh, the slightest bit of, of the news and what's been going on in the world, this coronavirus has kind of taken the world by storm. People are, are being scared. People are being overwhelmed with uncertainty and doubt. And the craziest thing for me was like the NBA being shut down. Like once that happened, I was like, oh my goodness, the world is coming to an end. Um, and I just want to remind everybody of a truth in this place today that uh, it, it is such a privilege for us to desire unity. It's such a privilege for us to even have a choice to come together. Because in a lot of places across the world, there is no choice but to be unified. Because the suffering is so great, the pain is so great, the struggles are so great that there is no other option but for people to come together in unison. Because that is the only way they can survive, for them to be together. And so I just, I, I pray that we would just lean into that truth of how much of an honor and privilege it is for us to be here right now in this moment, gathered in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the virus happening. We are able to gather in one name under the name of Jesus to worship without persecution, without people knocking on our doors telling us that we cannot gather. We are here tonight by a privilege, by the honor, by God that he has provided us this opportunity. And I want to go in to say that I, this entire week, really this entire month as I kept preparing for, for this message, um, I saw this image, and this image that I saw was a picture of, of a diamond. I know Josh is laughing because we talked about diamonds all week. And, and the, the image that I saw is not just a diamond that is floating in the air, and, and it's not just shining. It's a diamond that's actually turning and is rotating. And I believe what that represents is 
if you think about the facets of a diamond, there's different angles and there's different sides to it. If, you, if you've ever seen an engagement ring, if you've ever seen a diamond in its flesh, like there's different sides to it as you turn it, right? But the shine never loses. As you turn it, you simply see a different angle. And I believe that the turning of the diamond represents God wanting to just shift perspectives in this place tonight. I believe the turning of the diamond represents us seeing God from a different angle because we've gotten so comfortable seeing him from one side our whole entire life. We've been so comfortable being in a single season with God that, that we've refused or become so hardened to the fact, let me try to step to the side over here and see what God looks like from this angle. Let me try to step to the back here and try to see what God looks like when he turns the diamond and I see it from a different perspective if you guys are familiar with the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, they say that every story is the same. It's simply told from a different perspective. And, I, and the way a pastor explained it to me one time, imagine the, the facets of a diamond just turning and turning and turning. And it's the same story, the same God, the same, the same situation, the same scene, all told from different angles and different perspectives. And I believe that God wants to change that in us today, that we've become so comfortable with our version of who God is, our perspective of who Jesus is, our understanding and our idea of how to live like a Christian and be a follower of Christ. And he wants to break through complacency tonight. And I want to start by explaining what I believe to be uh, three, three main stages, three main stages of, of progressing in the maturity of your faith as a follower of Jesus. And, and the reason why I'm going over this is because um, I feel that for us to understand what it takes to change and for what it takes for God to just break through in seasons of life where it seems so dry and complacent, we have to understand the progression of our maturity as a whole, as a group of people. And so this is stage one. Stage one is that you believe. Stage one is that you believe. I think we can all agree that the first step of, of anything we do as Christians, as believers, is that we have to believe in the teachings of Jesus, right? We have to believe that God is real. We have to believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He placed Adam and Eve onto the earth, and Adam and Eve willingly chose to walk away from God. And when you walk away from God, who represents the source of life, guess what you walk towards? The source of death, the source of pain, the source of suffering, the source of evil, the source of defeat, the source of, of all these things that we sort of choose to blame God for, right? But the gospel, this is, this is our belief in the gospel is that we chose to do that. And the only way that our walking away and creating that gap between God and Adam and Eve was, was filled and reconciled and brought together in peace was through one way, and that was Jesus, is that he was the mediator between the bridge that was set between us that we created the distance from God back to God, the Father in heaven. And, and when God sent Jesus to die on the cross, he restored that relationship between man and the Father in heaven. And when that happened, Jesus resurrected from the dead, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the story of the gospel, that we believe the Holy Spirit resides in us, that the Holy Spirit resides in us and guides us into this new life as proclaimed followers and believers of Jesus. And I believe that, I, I'm not going to assume, but I believe that most of us 
are in this stage, right? That we at least believe, or at some point in our life, we have believed that God is real and that Jesus is real and that we follow Jesus because we believe in the authenticity of his teachings, right? But I'm here to say that that is not enough because even the demons believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe the teachings of Jesus. Even the demons believe that Jesus died and he resurrected. Even the demons believe that they were defeated by the blood of Christ. And so that, that's like the stage one of being a believer. Stage two is that we learn to walk with Jesus. We learn to walk in love. We take our belief, right, and then we apply it to our life. Every day we apply the principles of of Jesus, that uh, our faith isn't just limited to the faith portion, but it's followed up with a works portion, that we follow up with what God has taught us. We follow the commandments. We try our best knowing that we're not enough, knowing that we will always fall short of the glory of God, but we at least try and we commit our lives to God, and that is stage two, and I believe that most of us are actually in this stage as well. If you look at just the, the, the climate of church, we encourage each other on Slack. When we get bored, we just, we tell Stacy at this point, hey, I'm just coming over. We don't even ask her. We get, we, we've become comfortable with walking with one another, with one another. And, and we, we love to just spend time. I mean, last Sunday we were at church. I left at 8 p.m., but I heard you guys were here till like 11 p.m. or something. Like that's, a part of that is so amazing, Right? We spend so much time with one another because we've, we've recognized that belief is not enough. We've recognized that stage one is not enough. And we've recognized that in order for us to, to be faithful followers, we actually have to live it out and keep each other accountable. And that is stage two, walking in love, walking with Jesus as a community, encouraging each other and being there for one another. But I believe that uh, for, for most of us, again, we're, we've kind of come to a point where whether it's in this, in, in this season or, or the last season or some season in our life where we've realized even though I walk with God, even though I walk with Jesus, even though I walk with my brothers and sisters in this community that is so good, that are loving to me, there's something that is missing. And I believe that um, Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, he actually outlines this struggle for us so clearly. And this is stage three that most of us, I'm willing to bet, have, have been afraid to go into as believers. Stage one is to believe in God. Stage two is to walk in love. And stage three is to fight for love. It is to fight for your faith. Are you willing to fight for the faith that you believe in, not just walk in, but fight for. Meaning that when emotions fade, as, as a matter of fact, when emotions oppose you and, and you start to face something that opposes you, when, when you start to walk and the pressure starts to come in the other direction, are you willing to fight in those moments? And not with our own strength, but come to God and say, God, I need to fight for this and I need your help. This is where most of us are afraid to go into. And so the first question before I go into uh, going deeper into God, I, I just want to ask you guys this one simple question is, one, what are you fighting for? 
What are you fighting for? And this is a very generic question. I'm not, it's not a spiritual question that I'm asking, but just a very general question in life that I'm asking every single person in here right now. What are you fighting for? When you wake up in the morning, what is the one thing on your mind that you tell yourself, this is worth fighting for right now? No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult your season gets, this is the one thing that I will keep pressing on for, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation. Is it status? Is it approval? Is it fighting for somebody's expectations to meet somebody else's standards? Is it success? Is it money? Is it? And I'm not saying these things are, are, are necessarily bad to fight for, but what is the one thing, the one thing in your life that you can truly say, I am fighting for this? And maybe it is God. Maybe it is Jesus. Maybe it is related to your faith, but I'm willing to bet that some of us are in a battle that we don't even recognize until one of us points it out to each other. What is it that you are fighting for at the end of the day when you wake up in the morning and you say, why am I here in this present day? What is my purpose as I wake up and live another day? Um, I, I read this article talking about the, uh, the deepest regrets of of humans. And so this nurse actually surveyed uh, the deathbeds, the people lying in their deathbeds, and she concluded with one like major finding from these people. And she asked them the simple question, what is your biggest regret in life? What is your biggest regret in life? And I, I bring this up because I feel like there will come a point when you put your energy and emotions into something and you're fighting so hard for something every single day, you have to ask yourself at one point, will I ever regret putting this much energy into this? Will I ever regret fighting for this? And will it fight back for me when I need it the most? And this was the biggest regret that people had. I wish I had the courage to live a true life to myself, not the life others expected of me. Surveyed across multiple people who were literally on the verge of death. And they asked these people who were about to die and asked, and they, and they said, my biggest regret is that I wish I had the courage to live a true life to myself, not the life others expected of me. They realized in that moment I might have been fighting for the wrong things in my life. Out of all the things that I've prioritized and put on the top of my list of to-do action items, there was something that was missing. I didn't live the life. I didn't fight for the life that I really felt like I wanted to fight for. Regret is the biggest killer of our minds, one of the biggest I believe that the pain of regret is deeper than the pain of failure and rejection. And so this is where God kind of blew my mind is I, I read this statement over and over again. I wish I had the courage to live a true life to myself, not the life others expected of me. And I thought of this moment is that if, if we are all believers, right, if we all at least believe that Jesus is real and he is our king, he is our messiah, he is our Lord. He is our Savior. 
then the regret that we have on our deathbed is actually going to be the same for all of us. Is that we didn't live a true life for the one who gave his life for us. Because true Truth, if we look at the word true life, truth is not just a concept to us. Truth is a person. Life is not some biological specimen that we study. Life is literally a living, breathing God who gives us hope every single day. That is what true life means to us as believers. So do we, can we honestly say to God in this moment, God, I live my life for you. I fight my life for you. Stage three in your maturity of your faith. A place that most of us are afraid to go into because it takes a lot to fight for something. There's a reason why it's called a fight, right? It's a step beyond walking. We're not just walking on the spiritual battlefield. We are literally fighting every day as God equips us. And so I, I honestly had this, like, reflection to myself. I was, I was crying, and I was asking God, God, am I living my life truly for you in this moment? Am I truly taking every experience that the world is throwing at me, and am I, am I able to reflect it back to your kingdom and back to your life? And, and that question gets complicated because we often, that, we often think that being a pastor is the most, like, direct way of glorifying God. But here's the truth. Not all of us in here are meant to be pastors. Not all of us in here are meant to be on this side of the stage giving the word and communicating the gospel in, in whatever capacity. But we are called to be a light and to be a living example of the gospel wherever we go. So the question is that I ask myself, I want you guys to ask yourselves for a second, are you fighting, are you truly fighting for the kingdom of God? In other words, will you fight to go deeper with God? Because the disconnect that happens from walking with Jesus to fighting for him, there is depth. The direction that you have to go in order to reach the next stage is not to the left, it's not to the right. It's actually to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper with God. That's why we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to fight to go deeper with God in moments of pain, of suffering, and of struggles? Are we willing to fight to go deeper. And the moment that we do is called a spiritual breakthrough. If you take spiritual breakthrough, you take the word spiritual out, the word breakthrough simply means a sudden dramatic discovery or development. That's the definition of a breakthrough. It's, it's dramatic. You can't predict it. It's sudden. It happens out of nowhere, and it drastically changes your life. Is it, it is more than just an epiphany. It's like this realization that everything just aligns in your life and all of a sudden it clicks and it just makes sense. There's answers to the sufferings you have. There's answers to the setbacks that you have. And everything that you go through, that you go through just seems to click in this one moment. And the only thing you can attribute it to in that second is that is a breakthrough given by God. He made me realize in that moment his sweet truth 
And I believe that this is, this coincides with the image I saw of this diamond turning, that it represents a spiritual breakthrough. The diamond is the same. The way we look at it is just different. Oftentimes we expect God to be the one to change. But when we are up against someone who is constant and declares that he never changes, it is always us that are the recipients of change. And I, I, I truly believe that God wants this so much for you today. Every single person in here. Regardless of whether you feel like you're ready to receive it or not, I believe that God just wants to give it to you and put it into your hands and make you see what you have not seen, make you do what you have not done for the purpose of his glory. Because the answer from walking in love with God to progressing into fighting for the heart of God, there is depth. And he wants to walk with you through that depth every step of the way. And oftentimes, this is where we get things twisted because we want a breakthrough first, and then we tell God, I'll come to you. But oftentimes, most of the time, the way God works is he wants us to come to him first for the breakthrough. He is the medium for that change, nothing else. And yes, God will do it sometimes passively, right? He'll, he'll, like sometimes we'll just be sitting in, in a chair or lying down in bed and God will say something to us and he'll reveal something to us. And we're just lying there receiving and, and just believing. We come to our knees before God and he, he just shows us something in the moment and says, this is the answer. This is the way to go. But I believe the type of breakthrough that God wants for us tonight requires what Pastor John loves to say, a partnership with us. He wants us to take action and hold his hand with him as we go deeper and deeper and deeper with God. God's just not taking us and throwing us down there to the depths, but he's saying, come with me, and I will guide you every step. And so tonight, I just, I just want you guys to ask yourself this question. It's going to be different for everybody in the way you answer it, but will you fight to go deeper with God. And if you feel that you will drown as you go deeper, you are not mistaken. Because this is the beautiful paradox of going deeper with God. I can't lie to you. There will be pain involved in sometimes. I can't lie to you. It's not going to be an easy journey to go deeper with him. If you imagine the analogy of a, of a swimming pool, and, and we've been just sitting here in the shallow end for 15, 20, 25 years of our life. And God is saying, I want you to now come into the deeper end where you're not comfortable coming into. But I need you to just come closer to me. And if we're afraid of drowning, we're not mistaken in that because we will drown in his love and he will suffocate us with his grace. It will hurt, but it will feel so peaceful. And for a lot of us, again, the reason why God wants to pull us into that direction is because we have become so complacent 
in our life. Complacency. Fixating our vision on one thing the way that we want to see it every single time. That is complacency. It's not God's fault. It is our failure of seeing how big God is every time. Complacency. It's not, it's not God's fault that he's not changing the circumstances around us when in reality, in order for us to break this complacent season, he wants to change our hearts at the deepest levels. That is how we break out of this cycle of feeling like we're stuck and stuck and stuck. We have to allow God to go deeper. And we're going to go into the passage that I believe explains every step of the way, this entire progression of going deeper with God. It starts in Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to give you guys a background of Ephesians for a little bit. Um, Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul was seen to be a, a saint in the New Testament. Really, in the story of the Bible, he seemed to be this amazing figure who once murdered Christians on one day. Jesus changed his life, and he began to worship Jesus, and he became one of the most monumental figures of Christianity as we know today. And Paul, the context of this passage, Paul is in this city called Ephesus, and in this city, Ephesus, it's this epicenter of worshiping the Greek and Roman gods. So if you could imagine just for a second what that's like, like if you can just revert back time where Paul was alive and he had this burning desire in his heart to spread the gospel and to tell people about the news of who Jesus is. Jesus didn't tell Paul to go to a church and evangelize. He told Paul to go into a place where they were worshiping Greek and Roman gods, and he said, I want you to do my work. And Paul literally went deeper and deeper and deeper physically into the city, but by, in order to do so, he had to go deeper with God as well. And so this is the context of, of Ephesians. Um, and I, I love the book of Ephesians because it actually outlines exactly what I talked about in the beginning of the message, the three stages of the maturity of a believer. One, believing in God. Two, walking with him. And three, fighting with him. And Ephesians 6 comes the very last stage of the Bible or of, of the book of Ephesians. Because chapters 1 and 2 and even up to 3, it talks about the unity that Jesus desires in the church. The, the, the spirit of the Gentiles and the Jews and it talks about spiritual unison and the belief that believers are to have, right? And then when you go to chapter 3 and, and 4 and even 5, chapter 5, the subtitle is lit it literally says, walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In chapter 6, when it talks about the armor of God, is the final stage that God describes, that Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. And this is what it reads. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. 
Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times with the spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Isn't it crazy how everything literally comes in full circle? In the beginning, Paul talks about believing in God. In the middle of Ephesians, he talks about walking in love. And this is how chapter 6 literally opens up. It says, finally, meaning after stage 1, after the middle stage, the last thing that we have to do and equip ourselves as Christians, finally, and the words that follow after, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. He is bracing ourselves for a fight. And the setup is perfect in this scenario. He's saying, you know, you've, you've believed in me. You've done a great job believing in my teachings. Coming to Sunday and, and learning about my word, that's great that you can absorb the knowledge and information. But again, even the demons believe that. And stage two, he's saying, yes, walk in love. Walk with your brothers and sisters. Laugh, cry, weep, celebrate. Do life together in whatever way that you feel like is love and joy and, and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But Paul ends the entire book of Ephesians by saying, finally, the last step that we must take as believers to complete our maturity in our belief and walk with God is to fight for him. Is to fight to go deeper with God. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And put on the whole armor of God so that you could stand against the schemes of the devil. He declares it. And I believe that the, the, the beginning of, of Ephesians 6 when it says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers and authorities and, and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, he's saying that understand the landscape in which I am taking you into. That Christianity is so much more than just being there for each other, right? Christianity is so much more than than just believing in, in a simple truth. And I know this is not what some of us want to hear tonight, but I, I really believe that God wants to take us deeper and deeper and deeper. And on the other side of that is a breakthrough that will change your life for the rest of your life. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He says that our battle is not against each other. It's not against the struggles that we think we struggle with, but it's against the dark powers of this world. Our battle is not against the virus that's overtaking. It's the fear that cripples us inside. Our battle is not against our brothers and sisters that sit next to us or stand next to us or even the people that we hate and hate on us. Our enemy is the dark powers that overtake them. Our enemy is the spirit of evil in these places. It's not each other. 
It's not the physical, tangible things that we see, but God is taking us into this landscape so we could see the reality of what things are for what they are and for who they are. And he wants us to see that it is a fight for souls. It's not a fight for success. It's not a fight for, for, for money. It's not a fight for, for whatever reason it is that you want to fight for in life. It is a fight for souls, and that is what Paul has declared. That is what Jesus has declared, and that is what God has declared with his word in Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Not, not the partial armor of God, but the whole armor of God. Oftentimes, we, we want to just take pieces, bits and pieces of what God gives us. But he says, for you to survive out in this battlefield, I'm not just saying, here's, here's my Bible, take it and read it. He says, put on the whole entire armor of God, starting with the belt of truth. What's the first thing we do when we go into a car, if, we're, if we follow the law? We put on our seatbelt to secure us in truth, not in things that the world can toss at us and it will sway our minds left and right. But God says, the first thing that I want you to do is to fasten your belt of truth. Prepare yourself for war by fastening what is true, not the lies of the enemy that will be thrown at you in your life. And the breastplate of righteousness, which represents literally protecting your vital spiritual organs, your prayer life, your walk with God, your brothers and sisters, the relationships that you have with one another, your congregation, the place that you gather as a church. God is saying protect these things in your life with the breastplate of righteousness. Protect it. And the shoes that prepare us with the gospel. The shoes that represent the readiness of the gospel wherever we walk. Wherever we walk. God is, I, I feel like God is so funny because it's such a funny and odd thing when we walk into a social function or activity with the wrong type of shoes. If you come to a basketball game and you're wearing Vans, people will probably get mad at you. If you come to a function that's supposed to be formal like a wedding and you come in sneakers or sandals, people will probably look at you different. But God is saying, wear the right type of shoes when you walk this battlefield, which is the preparation provided by my word and the gospel and the truth of the gospel. And then he says, put on the shield of faith. God wouldn't give us a shield unless he wanted us to defend ourselves from something. And in this passage, he says, to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Meaning that as we walk and fight for our faith, there will be times where we have to put up the shield of faith because we cannot do this battle on our own strength. No matter how strong we feel like we are. No matter how much of an army we feel like we have behind us. 
Not even the greatest warrior can escape the glory of God. That's why he says, put up the shield of faith. Not the shield of your own strength. Not the shield of of just somebody else. Not the shield of your insecurities or, or whatever you may have going on internally. But he literally says, put up the shield of faith. Meaning that he knows that in that moment, there is something uncertain going on in your life. And in order for you to combat uncertainty and doubt, the only way to do that is for you to have faith in Jesus. That is our defense when we feel like we're about to crumble, is to have faith. It's not to be stronger it's not to, to do more or to be more, but it's simply to put up the shield and say, God, be my refuge. Cover me with your wings and protect me in everything that I do. You are my shield. You are my protector. You are the one that will be with me to the end of this day. The shield of faith. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation. If you guys have ever played Call of Duty or Halo, the quickest way to kill somebody is to shoot them in the head. But I, I believe God is being symbolic with that because the enemy, as much as he wants to see us in pain and suffer, oftentimes the enemy wants to take us out quick and say, I want this person to be overcome with suicidal thoughts. I want this person to be sunk so deep into depression and anxiety that they are crippled in their decision-making and they can no longer process the stage they are in in life. This is what the enemy wants. He wants to bring us down so quickly. And oftentimes it happens at night. Oftentimes it happens when we are alone. Oftentimes it happens when we are unaware that this is a spiritual battlefield and not a battlefield of anything else. Not a battle of the flesh, but a battle of the spirit. And the enemy wants to quickly turn that around in a moment. He wants to lie to us and say, this is a battle of the flesh. When God is combating that and he's saying, this is a battle of the souls and of my spirit. That's why he says, put on the helmet of salvation to protect the most important part of your soul. To prevent the enemy from taking you out with one single shot. Put on the helmet of salvation to protect you, to shield you, and to preserve and sustain your soul. And then finally he says, here is the sword of the Spirit. And I don't know if, if you guys feel like you were qualified to wield the sword of the Spirit in God's name. But I believe that he equips us to do so. He wouldn't give us a sword unless we had to swing it at the enemy that comes near us in times of hardship. And we're so good, again, at believing in the power of God. But when he hands us a sword in our hands... We're afraid to swing it. We're afraid to swing it at the enemy that comes charging at us head on. And God says, I've given you this sword so you could strike the enemy when he comes near to you. And it's not a sword that you've mustered up with your own, with your own strength. The sword of the Spirit literally represents 
the weapon that is the word of God. I was at John and Lydia's place maybe a month ago, and, and Lydia had this vision over my life, and she was saying, James, I, I see this image of this general just handing you a parchment and putting it into your hands. And he says, this is your new plan and your new strategy for this season. And then I thought about it. And then Lydia asked me the question, what do you think that parchment represents? And I said, it's the word of God. That for a lot of us, the way that God wants to reconfigure our strategy and turn this diamond that has gotten us so complacent and comfortable in our life is to realize that the only way through is to wield the sword of the spirit which represents the word that the God has already proclaimed and declared in our life and that states that the enemy is already defeated and the enemy fears us more than we can ever fear the enemy. That is the truth that lies within the weapons that God places in our hands. He doesn't want us to just defend our life. He wants, to, he wants us to strike physically, spiritually, figuratively, literally strike the enemy when he comes near to us and endangers us or the person next to us that we love, endangers our family, endangers our church. He wants us to come together as warriors of God to strike and to strike and to strike until the enemy has fallen. And it will be a fight because the journey to go deeper with God is a fight. It's not something that God passively does where he says, here, you don't have to do anything. But this is a season, especially in times of hardship, especially when the world is, is, is overwhelmed in fear and anxiety. God places us in a position to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. God places us in a position to fight with the sword of truth who have no sense of truth in their own life. God positions us to fight together when in past seasons we have fought alone and on our own in these journeys of, of, of struggle and pain. And again, the question just comes, are we willing to go deep to get to that point? When God gives us a sword in our hands, a breastplate to wear, a helmet, shoes, a belt, a shield, are we just turning back to God and laying it down before him and saying, God, I don't want to fight this battle with you. Even though I believe, even though I believe that you are the strongest one by my side. Even though I believe that you can conquer all these things in my life and you have before and you have for generations. Even though I believe that you are strong enough to defeat death, which you have shown in the resurrection of Jesus. Even though I believe in those things, I don't want to fight for those things. And that is a hard question that I believe God is asking deeply in all of us today. Are you willing to fight to go deeper with God. And if we look at the, the life of, of Paul, the apostle, in the book of Ephesians, he is literally the perfect example of someone who has taken the measures, who has been obedient to God and going deeper and deeper, not just physically in the city of Ephesus where all the opposition was against him, but spiritually. I think we forget the position that Paul was in. 
He was abandoned. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was, he was ridiculed and mocked. Every single time he tried to preach the truth, every time he tried to put on the shield of faith, every time he tried to take the sword and strike it at the heart of the enemy, Paul was hurt and he was broken and he felt abandoned and he felt alone and he felt like he couldn't go on anymore. That sounds like a fight to me. But this is the life that God has called for us to live. Not necessarily in, I'm not saying that we have to physically, physically be, be tortured and tormented to live this like deep and profound life for God. But to think about it from a spiritual perspective. Are we willing to face the storms in our life and fight through those seasons? Paul actually journals he actually journals his entire story of pain and suffering. You can actually find it in, in the book of Romans. And in chapter 7, it says, For I do not understand my own actions. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. That sounds like a fight to me. An internal storm brewing inside of his heart every day. And the reason I bring this up is because even though Paul is seen as this amazing saint... In our life, even Paul, even the, the most holiest amends that has ever lived in the Bible outside of Jesus, he says verbatim, for I do not understand my own actions. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. It is an internal conflict that he experiences every single day, which is proof that in order to go deeper with God, it will be a fight to get to that destination. And if, if you guys just think about for a second, I know I've been kind of overwhelming us with the, just the, the, the gravity and the, the seriousness of what it takes to go deeper with God. I want us to just think about the reward and the peace and the love and the joy that comes with it too. Because even though the suffering is great, the greatest thing about being a Christian is that we can experience the greatest reward that anyone else in this world can never feel or experience. Because we know a Savior who is perfect in his love. That is the reward. The reward is not feeling better. The reward is not... Is not doing better in life and, and having more money and having more success, the reward is literally Jesus himself. He is our prize. He is the one that is worthy chasing after in this race of endurance. And yes, Paul went to unbelievable depths to get closer to God. Again, he was shipwrecked. He was abandoned. He was beaten. He was persecuted physically, mentally, spiritually. But do you know how God used Paul after he decided to be obedient and go through those seasons? He used Paul to write two-thirds of the entire New Testament. He, wrote, he used Paul to literally write two-thirds of what we do our quiet time on today. And not just for us, 
not just for the churches in Atlanta and the churches of, of Asia and the churches in different continents, but the churches of every place in this world. God has used Paul's willingness to go deeper with God to bless generations on top of generations on top of generations on top of generations. And for more generations to come, he used him to write majority of what we know today as the New Testament. That is the reward of going deeper with God. Is that in the midst of the pain and the suffering, we do not realize and recognize what God is working in us for the next chapter of our life. And again, answering the question of, are you willing to fight to go deeper with God? And what that looks like for us is going to be superficially different across every person in this room. We have middle schoolers. We have high schoolers. We have young adults. We have people who are married. We have people that are going through so many different struggles in life. But, but fundamentally, fundamentally, I believe that going deeper with God looks and feels the same for every person in here, just as we would all share the deepest regret of not living the truest life for God. I believe that going deeper with God, even though we experience different specific things, that fundamentally and spiritually on this battlefield, it actually will feel and look the same when we start to share with each other what we're going through in our journeys. Going deeper with God means that we embrace the truth that is not just an emotional journey, but it is more so a humbling journey. So the first thing that needs to break in going deeper with God are not your tears that we're so used to. It is our pride that comes before us. And going deeper with God means that you surrender something good for something greater. Going deeper with God means that when, when, when things happen, and things get tough, and things get hard, you allow God to take your heart to a place of utter desperation and dependency, that nothing in this world can handle and sustain the, the pain and the suffering that you're going through in this season, but you say, God, take this, take this, take this. It's not escaping the pain, but it's embracing it in the moment and saying, God, won't you take the pain that I'm going through right now? This is going deeper and deeper with God. Going deeper with God means that we stop searching for answers in our life that fit our liking, our understanding, and our situation, and our circumstance. Going deeper with God means that we have a breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough, that in order for us to go deeper with him, we have to mold our life to the word of God. We have to shape and form everything we do in our life to what God has already said. It's not the other way around where we try to, to find Scripture to fit into our life, but it's to fit our life into Scripture. This is what it means to go deeper with God, is to embrace the pain and not escape it, and to live in this paradox, this tension of understanding his love, yet understanding his wrath, understanding his judgment, yet understanding his mercy. It's saying, God, won't you take this match and light me on fire today? And even though it will hurt, at least the world will watch me burn with your Holy Spirit. That is what it means to go deeper and deeper and deeper with God. 
superficially, it will be different amongst us. But spiritually, as a family, what we go through inside will be the same. It will be a humbling journey to get closer to him every single day. And again, on the other side of that is a breakthrough, is a realization, is an epiphany. It is a dramatic, sudden discovery and development that God is so good. And we choose to fight for him because he already chose to fight for us. And it is our response to just love him because he loved us first so perfectly. This is the fight that God has called us to today is to come together in this place and to realize, one, we're in a spiritual battlefield, and two, we have each other to fight, and three, it is an individual calling on us, even though we are together, to fight through our own battles and our struggles with God on our side, with God being the one who redeems and establishes every step of the way. This is the fight that God has called us to step up to. I'm going to ask uh, Matthew to come back up, and, and we're just going to spend some time in, in prayer as we... Just reflect on, on this simple question. Again, will you fight to go deeper with God in this season? And I don't, I hope that, that we're not taking this lightly in any way. I, I pray as, as a church that we realize that when the diamond turns, it's not just our perspective changing and it's not our minds just shifting to something else. It's not a realization that has resurfaced in the past. It is God literally saying, as this diamond turns, chains will be broken. Generational curses will be snapped in the matter of seconds. Suicidal thoughts will be casted out in the name of Jesus. And pride will fall down to the ground and the enemy will tremble at the name of Jesus Christ. This is what a spiritual breakthrough is. And sometimes we have to fight to get to the other side. And we are not alone because we have each other and we have a God who has never lost a battle in his single life. Just, uh, I just ask us to, to pray. If we, could, if we could all just fall to our knees at this time. Before we pray, I, I have a... I want to speak to us in, in groups in this room today because... This is such a general calling for us as a church, but I actually want to speak to the brothers in this place tonight first. This is a call of action to all the men, of all the boys, of all the brothers in this place tonight. If you could just listen and lean into the word of God in this moment. Let's ask God no more empty promises as men of God. Let's come and realize and embrace the truth 
that the most powerful position for a man to be in is not to stand tall in the presence of people, but it's to fall to our knees in the presence of God. Let's ask God as men of Christ in this place that the first thing that breaks in us is our pride. And if some of us are struggling with that, may we ask God to show us that the most glorious thing to experience as men of God is to come before him, is to lay down our selfish desires, is to lay down our pride, is to lay down everything that we have thought who God was and say, God, won't you redeem every part of my life in this time right now? As men, will we fight to be more vulnerable and transparent before God? As men of God, will we fight to go deeper by crying out to God and saying, I cannot do this in my own strength. I can't lean on somebody else. It is only you I can do these things through God. If you are a brother, if you could just make that your cry in this place tonight, that we would ask God to break down every corner of pride in our hearts. Sisters, I'm going to ask you to, to just lay a hand on a brother next to you right now. And can we pray for the knees that are falling down on the ground? Can we, can we pray for the tired souls, for the weary spirited? Place your hand on them and say, God, won't you have your peace and rest in these men tonight? No matter the age or the experience, we pray for them, God. God, we pray for the brothers in this place tonight. Would 
you break our pride? Would you break our tears? Would you break our spirits? Would you break our bodies before you, God? this time, um, I'm actually going to ask the sisters to rise to our feet, and men, let's just stay on our knees surrendering to God. I'm going to ask the sisters to stand 
on their feet, and this is the word that the Lord has for you tonight, is that he desires you to proclaim your identity in the mighty fortress of God. That you would proclaim the fact that charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That you don't need a man to wield the sword of the Spirit for you. But when God places the sword into your own hands and the enemy comes near, that you would be able to strike the enemy at the heart until he falls. We pray for the strength of every sister in this house today, God. Every sister, when storms come into their life, God, that they wouldn't just look at God and say, look how big my storm is, but they would look into the storms and say, look how big my God is in my season. Jesus. And men of God, this is what I challenge you today. Without placing your hand on a sister, without physically placing your hand on a sister, may we pray through words. May we let the sound of our words be the medium in which we support the sisters that stand with us. So for once, can we pray out loud and scream and desperately cry to God for God to acquit every sister in this room today. Can we pray for them on our knees? Can we lift up our sisters today? We pray for strength. We pray that every sister may stand in your glory and your identity, God. Pray for every sister tonight. We proclaim, God, they belong to you. continue to pray can we address the fact that this season has been difficult with multiple churches and different groups of people coming together as one but Lord, the Lord's word is prophetic and in Jeremiah 6 22 he says behold an army from the north is rising to establish unity and togetherness in the spirit of God Ephesians 6 and he talks about the shield of faith 
He's not talking about the shield of one person. He's talking about the shield of two, of three, of four, of five, of six, of seven, of eight, of nine, of ten. The shield of an entire army coming together as one shield to fortify our strength in the name of Jesus. This is the shield that he is talking about. We don't seek unity. We seek Jesus and he unifies us together. Pray for that in this moment. God would bring and mend the bridges in this place. And if you are at GCC, can you go to someone from a different church and vice versa and say to them, I will fight for you in this season. Embrace them and pray for them right now. Say, I will fight for you in this season. Say, I will fight for you in this season. I will go deeper with you, God, in this season. go deeper with you today. I will struggle with you. I will go through pain with you. I will fight to love you even though you are different, even though I don't understand you. I will fight for you. is here. Jesus is here in the midst of this unity that he is forming. God, unify us in your blood. Bring us together in peace. Pray and lift each other up. 
continue to pray. Pray for somebody that you have not talked to before. Pray to somebody that you do not know. Let's embrace each other and say, I will fight for you in this season together as your brother, as your sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, with every gathering, every, every army that comes together, there is a general. There's somebody at the head, and yes, to us spiritually, it is Jesus. But at this time, I just want to pray for John and Lydia, who have been there for us from the beginning, guiding us, mentoring, and teaching us. Can we just bless them today? So I'm going to ask them to come to the middle of the room at this time. And can we just lay our hands on top of our leaders who are at the head of this family and say, God, won't you have your covering over them? Won't you bless them, God? Won't you equip them? Won't you strengthen them? For they are human too. They have emotions. They struggle and they fight. Can we lift them up? Let us pray. Shower them with love and encouragement and hope.
God, won't you continue to cover them in your grace and your mercy, God? Won't you continue to cover them in your strength? Won't you take John and Lydia, secure the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that represent the preparation by the gospel, the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit to lead us in the spiritual battlefield, God, wherever we go, that they may be confident in the Lord and where you are. just return to uh, just on the ground on our knees. We're just going to pray a little more tonight. Just a little. We're going to lean into God just a little deeper. We're going to lean into God a little deeper tonight. This is the last thing I believe God wants us to hear is, you know, no matter why we gather, no matter how we gather, no matter the purpose of what we gather for, whether it's for a service, a lock-in, or, or an activity, God wants to remind us of a great truth tonight, and it's the house in which we gather. God actually establishes this house for a very specific purpose. And although we we think that it's a house for something, God says it's a house for this. Although we think it's a house for love, God says it's not even that. We think that it's a house of fellowship, it's not even that. We think that it's a house of unity and grace and, and mercy, it's not none of those things. We think that it's a house of worship, God says it's not even that. Isaiah 56, 7 says, The Lord has established his house as a house of prayer in this place. This is not a house of gathering for specific purposes and other agendas. This is a house of prayer where every person in this place will fall to his knees, fall to her knees, and confess and bow and say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and he is the one that leads us. It is prayer that takes us deeper as a church. It is prayer that keeps us fighting in the spiritual battlefield. Ephesians 6 says to pray at all times. Pray in all supplication. Pray to pray to pray because prayer is a sign that we're letting God know we can't do this on our own strength. So that's why the Lord says, I establish my house as a house of prayer more than anything. When I was in Uganda, this little six-year-old came up to me and he asked me, what village are you from? I responded with the words, my village is a Korean church in Duluth. It's a people that is filled 
with fighters of the gospel who fall to our knees and pray in any season, whether it's bad, good, successful, or desperate, or, or suffering, or whatever it is, we are willing to fall to our knees and pray before God. So let this be not just the last thing, but the first thing that we do is that we fall again. We're back to the same place. If you've been reading Revelations with us, in one of the chapters, it actually talks about the city of Ephesus. It actually talks about the church in Ephesus. And God says, you've done all things well, but you have forgotten my first love. And I believe for us to come to the one who loves us the most is to fall to our knees in prayer. So let's do that tonight. Let's do that. Let's close tonight with just praying your journey with God, asking God, place something in my heart, God, to fight to go deeper with you. And it is up to you today to answer that question. Am I willing to go deeper with God? So let's, let's fall to our knees one last time. And this is how we will conclude the night. Can we just give everything we have to him? Can we just give everything that we have to him in a cry of desperation, a cry of dependency to God right now? Let's bow to, let's fall on our knees. Let's come together. And as we let these words meditate in our souls, may we fall before Jesus and say, God, I give everything to you right now in prayer. I come before you, God, and I pray before you. I'm not trying to, to calculate my short-term plans. I'm not trying to predict the future, but I pray and I leave these things into your hands right now. Pray, God, before you. Let us pray. Let us speak words to God. Let's cry out in desperation. a house of prayer. We establish this place as a house of prayer to you, God. It's not a place of fellowship. It's not a place of gathering. It's not a place of fun. It's not even a place of love. It's a house where we come to you and pray before you, God.
Holy Spirit, fall in this place today. God for letting pride get in the way of our ambitions. We're sorry, God, for the thing that we've made it in our life as men, as sisters, as women of God. We declare that you reestablish this house as a house of prayer for this generation. That in order for us to go deeper with you, it's not by our own strength, God, but it's the Holy Spirit that leads us in the depth of your grace and mercy. We cry before you, God. We weep before you, God. But even that pain we give to you in this moment, even the suffering we give to you in this moment, this house is yours. Our souls are yours. Our hearts are yours. deeper tonight.
We're going to close the service the same way we started, in just a moment of silence with God. Can we just be still when the music fades and everything is stripped away? Can we come before God in his stillness and quiet nature and say, God, I worship you in this quiet season. I worship you in my closet. I worship you in this quiet place. Let's just sit and rest in his presence for a little bit. God, we are so grateful to come before you today, and we ask, Lord, that you would teach us humility, teach us what it takes to go deeper with you, and it's not just more effort, it's not our strength, God, but it's our willingness to just surrender everything before you and to pray through this journey that you have called us upon. And we pray, Lord, that as we go off and we, we discuss and talk and digest and to process, Lord, that your spirit would even be with us then. We pray, God, that your spirit would walk with us in everything that is spoken of and done tonight for the purpose of your glory. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you, and we pray that you would protect us and cover us with your love and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.